0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Francis Sue on coming to Christ as a college student studying mathematics.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a way that that I began to ask some of the bigger questions in life. Like, what am I doing here? What's the, the point of life, right? E- even to the point of despairing of life. I never got to the point where I was about to take my own life, but I could certainly see um, a way in which... I could be led led that way because suddenly everything that I based my the sense of what life was was about was being shaken.
0: Francis Su next. Mathematics professor Dr. Francis Sue grew up in a small Texas town raised in a secular family by immigrant parents. His inspiring account of coming to Christ as a college student during difficult circumstances is in the current Christianity Today. Dr. Sue teaches at Harvey Mudd College in Southern California and is author of the book, Mathematics for Human Flourishing. We'll find out about that later in the conversation. Dr. Sue, you write about an incident when you were five when you prayed. Uh, tell us about it and why it's significant to your Christian testimony.
1: Yeah, so I guess in in, in my testimony, I talk a little bit about how I, um, I mean, I when I was a little kid, I had misbehaved. Um, and I guess I can't even remember exactly what, what the... Um, what the thing was that I did, but I know I remember it was not a good thing to do, and my dad uh, gave me a spanking, and I lashed out by biting him on the back, mm. and so immediately I felt a, a wave of remorse, shame come over me, and I talk a little bit about that in, in the article in, in
0: Christianity Today. And you, the significance, or part of it, was that you found yourself praying, but praying was not a part of your part of your home life or your home experience.
1: Yes, that's right. I did not grow up in a, a religious household, but I my parents had sent us to a, a, a parochial school uh, because they thought the education was better. I, had, I guess I had that in- instinct to pray because that's what we did in school.
0: Well, here you are, a professor of mathematics, and at some point, of course, you had to have an introduction to it. You had to get interested in it. Tell us about your interest in mathematics, when that uh, began, and, and what appealed to you? about it.
1: Yeah, so you know many people think of math as just something that you do to calculate, you know, a tip or something like that. <laughs> right. And and one of the things that I like to say is that anything a calculator can do really isn't math because that is you know ca- a calculator just does performs procedures, right? And uh, anybody can Um, perform a procedure if they just know what the steps are but math is really about the thinking that goes into the reasoning behind many of these uh, ideas that you um, you know that you encounter in mathematics so uh, and so what the calculator is doing isn't actually the math part that humans experience and the part that humans experience is is the the beauty of reasoning right being able to to reason your way to solve some complicated, challenging problem. When you experience that, you know, that to me is a, um, it's a God given thrill, right? Like to, to be able to understand uh, is, is part of uh, the experience that I think um, every human being should have, right? Being able to understand something so well that you, you don't need to memorize procedures that you, you, you tinker and you play with a problem, just like you might tinker and play with with um, something physical, and and understand how it works, uh, so that you you can solve problems that you've never seen before.
0: And you write that somehow it ignited in you a sense of awe and wonder,
1: awe and wonder, and in uh, uh, beauty over the mystery of the things that we we can suddenly know. Through the power of reason, right? That's there's something something glorious about that, and you know that was something that attracted me to mathematics. Uh, and as I write in the piece, in, in some ways, it it these are th- this feels spiritual, right? And so in some sense, you know, people often have this experience where they talk about God, even if they're not religious, they talk about sorry, they talk about math in religious terms, right? Saying that it's somehow um, a way in which people experience—it's hard to describe—experience beauty, right? Experience awe. Um, people talk about math as if it's—it's it's permanent, right? It's another word for for uh, being eternal, mm-hmm. right? Like the fact that the laws of mathematics don't change, right? The same—the the laws of math that govern the world are the same uh, yesterday and today, right? And forever, right? And that's already kind of a you know, uh, the same way we often speak about about God. And so, um, it's no accident, in my opinion, because often um, when you see something profound, like you do in mathematics, it, it causes you to, to
0: wonder. You write that uh, your joy of learning, uh, math uh, and other things as well, I would assume, but particularly math, became ensnared by the temptation of success. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's uh, uh, somehow the flip side of doing well at something. Suddenly now it's it's a snare.
1: Yeah, suddenly it becomes your identity, right? Like, mm-hmm. so when you start ex- excelling at things, people start praising you for it. And when they start praising you for it, you you tend to get a big head, right? Mm-hmm. Or you tend to feel like, oh, this is this is part of what makes me a worthy person, a worthy human being, is the success that I'm having at this. This is what causes people to to value me. And so it's very easy to fall into that trap uh, of getting your identity from the things that you do, the perform the way you perform. Uh, and you know, for me, I think that's at some point becomes idolatrous, right? It becomes taking your identity, feeling like your dignity comes from from things that you do rather than just because God has given you inherent dignity and worth because of his love. I I think one of the things, the the freeing things about the Christian faith is the idea that we don't need to earn our dignity, right? It comes to us because God loves us, because God loved us first, we love him back, uh, and um, everything else sort of flows from from that grace.
0: And, And you're not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with success, but it's when we begin to sort of pursue it, for selfish ends if you will
1: that's right yeah i mean and and certainly you know being successful there's nothing wrong with success in itself in fact you you would hope that people would experience success i would hope that for instance if i go to a doctor that they actually have expertise right (laughs) right yeah i don't want someone operating on me who hasn't had experience doing surgery right and they have had success successfully Cured people, right? That's the kind of thing that. So there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's important that that um, people are are uh, successful. um I think where it becomes damaging is when when you start valuing the doctor more than you value someone else in some other profession or someone who is isn't even doesn't even have a job, right? Like that's the part where um, I think it becomes dangerous, where you. Um, Begin to accord certain people more value than other people.
0: Well, I'm talking with mathematics professor Dr. Francis Su about his Christianity Today testimony. I loved studying math. I needed God to show me why. He's also author of the book Mathematics for Human Flourishing, I want to ask him about uh, in, in a little bit. But uh, back to your uh, testimony, uh, Dr. Su, you uh, begin to talk about uh, a friend of yours when you were in college named William and his influence. On you, and I'm wondering if you could you could talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, so William was a friend of mine. So this is again. I I'm coming from uh, a non-Christian background. I mean, I get to college, and suddenly I am, um, you know, you meet all sorts of interesting people. You meet you meet um, uh, a lot of um, people from various uh, backgrounds, and for somebody who's you know, who always made his, you know, took his identity at at being smart and successful. You meet a lot of really talented people, uh, in college, right. Who are are more talented than you in various ways. And Mm -hmm. William certainly was uh, somebody that I, um, admired, looked up to. We did homework sets together, math and physics homework sets. Uh, and he, um, he was a very quiet, meek, humble fellow. And, um, and I remember we went, when I went over to his dorm room for the first time, he had this big map on the wall, which was a color-coded map of the US <laughs> uh, and the entire US. And it had these you know, big blobs, these big circles of, of um, yellow and orange and red uh, rings on it. And, uh, and I remember being fascinated by this and asked him what it was. And he said that basically, this is, this is a map. Based on the research that he had done in figuring out the likelihood of dying in, a, in the event of a nuclear war, and uh, this is, you know, this was in the mid 1980s, <laughs> right before the Cold War tensions died down. Um, everyone was was worried about nuclear winter, right? I, I don't know if you remember that time, but mm-hmm. the, you know, Sting had a song: "Do the Do the Russians Love Their Children Too?" Right? Everyone that was the the mood in the air at the time, uh, and he had. Uh, he had done the work of actually figuring out where in the U.S. Um, Russians had their um, their missiles targeting, right? And so basically, the entire U.S. was covered in in all these hues, except for some uninhabited portions of the West. And you know, it really struck me. It was it was um, kind of an eye opening view of how bad things could get, in some sense. Uh, and, you know, for someone like myself, it was like, wait a minute. So, are you telling me that in the event of a nuclear war, they're basically, the whole US is going to be wiped out? You know, that's basically um, the feeling that it left me with. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I said, is there any hope? And his response, which he, he sort of muttered most, you know, somewhat under his breath, which was, well, not unless you be, believe in God. And so, that for me was like, Whoa, he's a Christian? Like, <laughs> I mean, as we talked about, I realized he he, he was a Christian, and um, and so that was a you know it was intriguing to me, surprising to me in, in, in some sense.
0: And this was all kind of paralleling a time of uh, crisis or trial in your in your own life and your family's life. Your your parents' illnesses, yes. right?
1: Yeah, both my my father and my mother had serious life threatening uh, diseases. My, my father had colon cancer. My mother had Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, ALS as it's known. And so I was already in a a moment of personal crisis, right? Which was basically like, gosh, my parents, my parents could be, you know, might not make it, Mm -hmm. right? This is me, a freshman in college, going off to college, um, not having a support system, uh, And suddenly, feeling very, you know, very lost, and so that, you know, that was a way that um, I began to see my own limits, my own um, mortality, in some sense, but also the 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 foolishness of pursuing achievement because I didn't I didn't have a purpose, right? Like, what's the point of making good grades um, if you just die at the end of it all, right? Mm. Whether that's a nuclear winter or whether that's by some horrible disease. Um, these are the kinds of questions
0: I was wrestling with as a, as a teenager um, going off to college. So you had all of this kind of coinciding or colliding at the same time. And is it fair to say that these, these circumstances of your friend and, and finding out he's a Christian and your parents' illnesses, in some ways uh, made you more open to uh, thinking about eternal things life and death spiritual things
1: yes most certainly yeah it's it's um you know in some ways it's it's a severe mercy as um some might say and to mm-hmm. have sort of come face to face with with um despair at that level i mean I was severely depressed uh, much of that year and yeah I mean it was a way that that I began to ask some of the bigger questions in life. Like, what am I doing here? What's the, the point of life, right? E- even to the point of despairing of life. I never got to the point where I was about to take my own life, but I could certainly see um, a way in which I could be led, led that way. Because suddenly, everything that I based my, the sense of what life was was about was being shaken, that's not an easy thing at a, at that age. At most, you know, that's most of my friends were not wrestling with the fact that both their parents could could be dying, and so I there I didn't feel like there were a lot of people around me who could who could understand. Yeah, so that that was that was my introduction to uh, to college. But you know, in college, I met a lot of people, not just William, but there were several other Christians that I met who were uh, in in my classes, and it was maybe the first time that I had met Christians who seemed to be living at living their life according to a different measure of what life is about uh, and that was intriguing to me it was a, uh, attractive in some sense um, they didn't seem to have some you know some of the same hang-ups they had a, a certain assurance that I I guess I, I found it uh, interesting
0: and speaking of interesting you you uh, there's a sense of uh uh, obviously in one sense everything's providential with god because he's god but just that uh, you you were in a despairing uh, situation one night you write you got on an elevator i think it was in your your dorm and yeah. here were two christians in the elevator and they they weren't just two christians in the elevator but they talked to you actually about jesus and you couldn't have been on the elevator that long for that to come up
1: yeah of course people are like what do you mean you have an elevator in the dorm but this was the university <laughs> of texas a which big... has 10 story dorms. I'm trying to remember now. I, anyways, it was very tall. It was a t- it was a tall building and so, you know, the, the elevator, I got on the elevator mm-hmm. and there were two guys who who started a conversation with me and you know, somewhere between yeah, <laughs> the start and the end of that very short elevator ride, we we, you know, they they started this conversation. I was intrigued. Uh I was ready to hear. I, I think, you know, normally I you know, I might not might have dismissed mm-hmm. dismissed what they had to say, but this this night I was receptive. Um, and of course, the it was a short elevator ride. So basically, we said, "Well, can you know, let's arrange to have lunch a couple of days from now on the weekend." And I actually went back to check my memory on this because I was like, uh, you know, and so I actually looked up. You know, I remember the day that I became a Christian. It was April fifth. Uh, uh, 1986 mm. and sure enough it was a Thursday and uh and two days later it was a Saturday which was a natural time to have a more leisurely conversation mm-hmm. um and uh and so that's uh that's what happened we we had lunch and asked all sorts of questions I had about things that you know about God and and they presented the gospel to me in a way that I think made sense to me for the very first time, right? Like I always thought about like Christianity and any religion as, as a moral code, right? A set of rules that you live by mm-hmm. to live a moral life. And I think what was surprising to me was this message of grace and the idea that that uh, we don't earn our way, we don't earn our salvation, we don't earn our way to to heaven. And it was more about a relationship with God through Jesus. And so, that was new. That was surprising to me in, in some sense. Uh, and it, but but the, the weird thing is that it actually made sense. It made sense of the world in a way that I didn't feel the world made sense before.
0: Was this roughly the, the, the time or the point at which you committed your life to Christ?
1: Yeah. So, so at that lunch, basically, uh, they asked if, uh, if I would, uh, was ready to commit of my life to Christ and and I felt that I was so I did I mean of course at that point I'd, I'd not really opened up a Bible or read anything you know mm-hmm. I was just like this feels right and makes sense and I'll trust you Lord uh, and I uh, you know actively <laughs> read the Bible because I wanted to, to to make sure that I that I you know that I understood what I was what I had uh, this new faith that I had uh, adopted but yes, I mean, everything, everything checked out in some sense.
0: Here you are in college, and uh, like, like college students do, you're, you're studying things. You're very much involved in the life of the mind. You, I think you alluded to this in your, in your piece. Uh, you, you decided you weren't throwing away your mind, but was there a little bit of that, that conflict? Like, um, have I thought about this enough, or is there a, is there a faith, reason, conflict going on here?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, I guess there's there's always that question, right? Like, you know, how do you resolve some of the apparent quest, you know, contradictions or the idea that I, I think there's this feeling that potentially science contradicts what uh, the Christian faith teaches, um, and of course, you know, I think you know that's a separate conversation. Yeah. But now, I'm a practicing mathematician and scientist. I don't really see much divergence between science and uh, and in the Christian faith, um, when you try to, you know, look at the book of scripture and the book of science, in some sense, I I find them surprisingly harmonious. So I, I don't have I don't have any issues with that. Um,
0: Again, I think you you alluded to this a little bit. H- how did coming to Christ change or influence your understanding of of mathematics, or did it? Certainly, it changed the kinds of questions that
1: I asked uh, in in my field um, and. The kinds of things that interest me. Um, I mean, I, there's a dialogue, right, between mm-hmm. what I you know, what I'm learning in mathematics and and what uh, I'm learning in the faith, and so it's natural to ask, like, how does how does my faith shape everything that I do? But you know, there's also a, a way in which my understanding of mathematics gives me a richer understanding of my faith, right? So, for instance, uh, mathematicians are enamored by uh, the notion of the infinite. Hmm. And if you are a mathematician, you, you realize that you learn at some point that there's actually many, you know, the the concept of infinity is actually richer and deeper than than you might expect, right? Like there's many different sizes and levels of infinity. And that's not something that the average person knows or necessarily appreciates, right? But but because I understand how complex and, and rich the notion of infinity is, when 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 we speak in our faith about God's infinite nature, it, it's actually saying something a lot more meaningful to me than it might to someone who hasn't hasn't had that mathematical training.
0: I want to ask you about your book in just a moment, but just going back to your friend William for just a moment, um, do you recall his reaction? When you became a Christian, I mean, obviously there was at some point yeah. you told him, "Hey, I'm a Christian now."
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in uh, well, it was that evening, right? Like, I mean, I I when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to Christ, uh, you know, I, that evening I had think I had dinner with him and several other friends, and I said, I basically said, "You'll never guess what happened to me today," <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, I think William's eyes just about bugged out. You know, it was kind of like, "What?" You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> And uh, and he told me he'd been praying for me mm-hmm. all year. And, you know, so that was just an example of, like, I was receptive and he planted several seeds. He and several other friends did. And, you know, a couple of other guys that were that I had not met had um, challenged me to make a decision. But it wasn't the, the same people, right? So, you know, it was a, a case of um, one plants mm-hmm. and other waters and God causing the growth.
0: Well, your book, and our, our time is going very very quickly here, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your book, Mathematics for Human Flourishing, and that's a, an, an intriguing title right there. W- what can you tell us about the book? Maybe give us a little overview and how, what the connection is between mathematics and human flourishing.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different ways I could, I could say it, but I, I mean, <laughs> the, the, in some sense, the book tries to ask the big question. What is the purpose of learning mathematics? Hmm. What is it for? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's related to some of the big questions that we all ask about our lives as as spiritual human beings. What is it all for? And um, the the usual way people think of math is it's something you do to get a credential, something to to get you ready for college or career. But people don't uh, often think about like what is thinking mathematically. So here's the question every kid asks, why in the world do I need to learn this stuff?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And the usual answer is because you're going to need to know it later, which is not even necessarily a true answer, right? Like if you're not going on into science, then you you probably don't need to learn calculus, right? Yeah. And so what I try to do in the book is to, is to give people a, a better answer to that question. Why do I need to learn mathematics? Well, it's actually because it builds virtue. Uh, it builds uh, the ability to think and reason. Uh, it it, build, it builds in you an appreciation for beauty. Uh, it builds in joy and, and wonder. And these are things that, that serve you well, no matter what you go off and do, right? Like the fact that in some ways, it's more about building virtues than it is about developing skills, right? The skills, the kinds of things that you learn, like, you know, procedures, you learn how to do stuff... All that stuff is actually, is, is, is now easily replaceable by computers or, or think about the coming artificial intelligence revolution, mm-hmm. right? Skills are not as going to be as important as virtue, like having creativity, being able to think and reason, being able to um, solve problems you've never seen before. That, these are the things that employers are looking for, right? And mathematics, a proper mathematics training builds you to do that. So that's one answer to the question what's the book about um another answer to the question is that you know basically i've written this book for the general public uh it's centered around several key stories um one of them is uh that of simone vey who is a french religious mystic uh, but um her brother was a very famous mathematician and she always compared herself to her brother right and and um you know, part of the, the the thing you learn about Simone as you read the book is that um, is that later in, in life she actually had kind of came to the realization that that actually studying uh, deep deeply studying mathematics or other fields actually brings benefits that that go beyond just uh, the outward things. And for her, of course, it was she felt that deep study actually attuned her to be more attentive to prayer. Right. So there's mm-hmm. an example um, story is that of a Christ- of, of a, uh, a fellow named Christopher Jackson, who's an incarcerated man who discovered a love for math in prison. And out of the blue, several years ago, he wrote me a, a letter. Uh, and um, and so we started this correspondence. And so you'll you'll hear some of his story uh, in my book. Uh, and then the third is my own story. You know, you think I'm a mathematician. I probably never struggled, but I talk about my own struggle in mathematics uh, and how um, and how that shaped the way that I think about mathematics now. And so, um, in some ways, it's a book of stories uh, centered around what does it mean to be a human being using math as a lens.
0: Mm. You're also telling uh, people kind of, as we wrap things up here, as far as mathematics goes, maybe people look at it too pragmatically. Like, wh- how am I going to use it or wh- what is it going to do for me rather than how can it? Enrich your life. as How can
1: it enrich your life? How can it shape your shape your um, your character in some sense to think um, deeply uh, and um, experience wonder and joy and beauty, which is not are not words people normally associate <laughs> with mathematics. But if you talk to mathematicians and ask them why they like mathematics, beauty is 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 the number one reason they often give. Right, hmm. so why do people have such different experiences around mathematics? That's that's part of the question that
0: I try to dig into and answer uh, in the book. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Francis Sue, mathematics professor at Harvey Mudd College and author of Mathematics for Human Flourishing. His testimony can be read at ChristianityToday.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, Ken Barron on his journey from homeless to ministry leader. I had no clue that Jesus was a Jew. I'm I'm telling you, even though I was raised in Jewish family, Jesus was Catholic as far as I was concerned Mm -hmm. or Protestant. And I was Jewish, and we didn't talk about Jesus. And I'd asked my father about Jesus. He said, well, we don't believe that he was the Messiah, but we knew he was a great prophet. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.